Luke chapter 8. All right, what is a parable? If you've been in church for a while, you probably know that a parable is a story, and it's a story that teaches a truth in a really memorable way. I mean, when we get done looking at this carefully today, uh, the next time you read through this parable, you'll remember exactly what it's about and exactly what uh, the Lord was teaching us because it's such a memorable device. It's wonderful if we understand the significance of the story, but not if we confuse what it's really talking about. Now, this parable will teach us about how different people receive the gospel. I mean, why do some people receive the word with joy and, and belief, and others receive the word with dismissiveness and skepticism? Why am I saved and my neighbor is not? That's the question here. This parable will help us to understand this. Parables can easily be misunderstood if you read a lot of stuff into the parable that's not actually supposed to be there. Thankfully, today, we cannot misunderstand this one because I'm a highly trained professional. No, seriously, because Jesus tells us exactly what it means and what, is, uh, what he is teaching about when he goes and tells his disciples about it. So what we have to do is study it enough to really learn it and then really apply it. Now, to be honest, we've gotten so complacent that many of us are willing to listen to a sermon but we really have no intention of letting it affect our life in any tangible way. Now, I'd like for you to realize with me how ridiculous and insulting it is to God to say, yeah, I'll hear you out, but I'm not going to do anything about it. We cannot have that posture. That is not the way a disciple comes and receives the word. So let's wake up, listen up, and expect to hear from God through his word. Now, the first three verses of Luke chapter 8 come before the parable, but they are important and we need to take a quick look at them. So starting in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing good news, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa. Herod's husband, household, <laughs> Herod's husband, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, neither Jesus nor Luke was uh, inundated with modern sensibilities. They didn't include the names of these women to show you how, uh, how modern and sensible they were. They included these names because these were very important women who ministered to the apostles and ministered to Jesus. As a matter of fact, rabbis didn't have women followers. Jesus was a rabbi. He was the only one that had these women followers. Luke thought it was important to point this out, and he thought it was important that we know their names. Now, don't answer this out loud because it's a, uh, you're not going to get it right if you answer. What was the profession of Mary Magdalene before she met Jesus? Well, I'd always heard that she was a prostitute, but we don't know because the Bible doesn't actually say. I've heard, you know, various times from various pastors that she was a prostitute, but that was actually first said by a pope in the year 591, and it's not in the Bible. So the Bible doesn't say uh, what she did for a living. It says she was plagued by demons and that the Lord delivered her from those demons. 
Now, she was this wonderful woman who ministered to the Lord and to the apostles, was at the foot of the cross during Jesus' crucifixion, and was among the women that were told by the angel of the resurrection. And then she was among the very first. All four Gospels say that she was the first in this list of women who told uh, the news of the resurrection to everybody else. So this is a, a wonderful, faithful woman that stayed with Jesus from first to last. Joanna stayed with Jesus as well. We see in Luke uh, 24.10, it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And these things are the, the events that they had seen of the resurrection. So these women were faithful disciples of Christ. Susanna is only mentioned here and nowhere else in the Word, so we don't really know her backstory. But Luke thought she was worth mentioning by name, so she too had been blessed by the ministry of Jesus. And she was there with these other women supporting the work of Christ through their own resources. So they were giving financially to support His work. All right, let's jump into this really important parable. Verses 8 through, I'm sorry, 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't have time to discuss that particular phrase this week, so we're going to look at that next week. But let me just say, if you are in here today, Jesus would be saying to you, If you can understand this, listen up. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved." And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So first of all, I want us to look at the sower. Now, Jesus explained what the seed is, right? He said the seed is the Word of God. He explains a lot about the soils, but He doesn't say very much about the sower. The sower is the one who shares the Word of God, the one who shares the gospel with people. Now, I want us to notice who we are to share the gospel with. Everyone. You see, that sower is not taking one little seed and going to the prettiest little piece of dirt and planting that one seed. He is throwing that seed all over the place. We aren't called to be soil inspectors, but sowers of the Word. We're to be like the sower and sow the seed 
indiscriminately, and liberally. Now here's the part where many of us, probably most of us will say, if we're being honest, nah, I'm not going to do it. At which point we really desperately need reminded of what we read in Luke 6.46. That's when Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So why do people not sow the word? Why do we not share the gospel? Well, one thing is fear of rejection. We just have to get over that one, guys. The Bible says in Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you hears me. And this is Jesus talking to us, well, not to us, but to his disciples and by extension to us about sharing the word with people, about sowing the seed. He says, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So in this verse, we have you, Jesus, and God the Father. You are the least of these. All right? They may reject you, but you will be in such good company. (laughs) They'll reject you and the Son and the Father. Now, the second reason a lot of people don't sow that seed is that they're not only afraid of rejection, but they fear that they'll mess it up. It is not the skill of the sower that is the variable in this scenario. You should become adept at sharing your faith, but if you truly are saved, then you know how you were saved, right? If you're there, you know how you got there. And guys, we don't have to make it really complicated. The first method that I learned to share the gospel with was, uh, was called evangelism explosion. There was a lot of memorization, probably a 20, 25-minute presentation that I could lay out. Uh, and that's helpful and good, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. Uh, the way I share my faith now is I, I mostly go by the way of the Master uh, that we that we learned when those folks came here to teach us uh, last year, but I will change it depending on what the person says. I'll try to see what their objection is, see if it's a real objection, answer that objection. If it is real, if it's not, stir them, steer them back to the gospel. So we don't we overcomplicate this big time. We need to tell people repentance is unconditional surrender to God. And faith in Christ is Jesus in my place. He died in my place. He lived in my place. And I place my faith in him. That's about as simple as it is. So we need to sow the word, share the gospel liberally with anybody that will listen. So we looked at the sower. Now let's look at the seed. Remember the seed is the word of God. Just like the skill of the sower is not the variable here concerning the reception of the gospel, neither is the seed the variable. The seed just needs to be sowed, sown, sowed, I don't know, thrown out there, uh, needs to be given out. And I know the popular thing these days for preachers to do is read a couple of verses of Scripture, pace around while they tell you stories, and you're supposed to be impressed that they don't need notes. Um, that's not a lot of seed sowing there. Uh, that That's more... Uh, putting a couple of verses in and then doing positive, uh, you know, motivational speaking. Now, I don't think that's the way to go because the motivational speaking just can change behavior. But sowing the seed of the Word of God, that's what we're called to do. I want to help you know Jesus better. 
I might could motivate you to fix a behavior. I might be able to do that. I don't know. Uh, the, the biggest fear for a lot of people is public speaking. And I'm not scared of public speaking, so I might could be a decent motivational speaker. But I don't want to be because I want you to get to know Jesus better because Jesus can do internal, permanent, actual transformation on you that behavior modification cannot accomplish. Now, the first thing that we see that is the variable in this equation is not the sower, it's not the seed, it is the soil. So take a, with, take a look with me at the very first soil described. The first soil was that which landed along the path. Now, in order to get through these fields and in among several fields, they had to have walkways. And these walkways were hard-packed earth where foot traffic and animals had been going through there for years. And the soil was really hard and the seed really had no chance to penetrate that soil. Odds are pretty good that if you have this kind of heart, you're probably not here this morning because you probably don't want to hear the Word of God. But if you're sharing the gospel as every Christian is called to do, you will encounter people with this kind of heart. When you share the gospel and someone rejects your message, it's not the fault of the sower, it's not the fault of the seed. Now, of course, if you come off as a judgmental jerk, people aren't going to listen to you, right? I mean, if somebody comes to you and you say, man, I haven't seen you in a while, Uh, are you still living in sin? Are you still shacking up with so-and-so? they're probably not going to listen to your presentation of the gospel after that. But if you speak the truth to them in love and they reject you and reject the gospel, it's not your fault. It's not the fault of the gospel. It's because their heart is hard. You've done what you were called to do if you share the gospel with them. Now the preparation of the soil, or we could say the plowing of the soil, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you present the gospel to someone and they're hard-hearted and they reject it, that doesn't necessarily mean you give up. I mean, if you don't know the person, don't have a relationship with the person, just keep on going about your way and casting the seed out. But if this is somebody you love and you have some ongoing influence with, uh, you don't have to give up. You have to pray that the Holy Spirit will change that hard soil into soil that can be cultivated because He can do that. Now the second soil is that of the superficial heart. Look with me in Luke eight thirteen, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. When you share the gospel with this person, they may seem receptive, maybe even eager to hear the message. Now, what does it, believe that, what does it say that they believe for a while? Uh, Don't we believe that once you're saved, you stay saved? Well, of course we do. Uh, We're Baptists. We believe this doctrine and the perseverance of the saints. But we don't believe it because we're Baptists. We believe it because it is clear in the Word of God. Look with me at a couple of places that, that will illustrate this. John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now to abide means to stay, remain, reside. It's talking about permanence. So these that Jesus says are like the second soil. They are not permanent. They seem to believe for a little while, but in fact, they do not and they fall away. 
So Jesus says, if you abide, remain, stay, plant yourself in my word, you're truly my disciples. The same thing is taught in 1 John 2, 19. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. All right. So John said, yeah, they were around and they left. The leaving shows that they were not actually followers and disciples of Christ. These are second soil people who believe for a while, but then in a time of testing, they fall away. They weren't the real deal. They seemed to be for a while, but turns out they were not. Now, to be candid, there are a lot of folks in our SBC churches that absolutely do not understand this clear teaching of the Lord. They think that anyone who showed an interest, prayed a prayer, may have even been baptized, is signed, sealed, delivered, all right? And if they subsequently won't have nothing to do with God or his word or his bride, they say, it's all right, they're saved. That's why you'll see, and I hesitate to say this because if somebody does it, some good results might happen. But that's why you'll see these things like the Hell House productions and stuff like that, where they, they try to convince somebody or scare somebody into making a decision, and then they never, ever, ever see those people again. Now, that's okay unless you tell those people they're saved. That is the mistake that I made when I was young. I would go tell people, here's the gospel. Do you understand this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. Do you want to pray to receive Christ? Yes. Uh, okay. Do you, are you sincere? Yes. Okay. So we'd pray together. And I would tell them, now you are saved. Well, I lied to people. I didn't mean to, but I did lie to people. Because those people didn't then come into the church and didn't abide in his word. They didn't remain. They believed for a minute or they were excited about the message. Nobody, unless they're insane, will tell you, I think I would prefer God's wrath and judgment over God's forgiveness. Nobody's going to tell you that. That's insane, right? But when it comes to actually abiding in Christ, you have to be a new creation. And that is what Jesus is saying. There are some that appear to believe but they're not actually new creatures in Christ. Now, the problem with people believing that once somebody says a prayer, they're good for then on, is that it is the opposite of the, what the Bible is teaching right here. Look with me in 1 John 2.19 again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So, man, that's clear. They would have continued had they been the real deal, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. If you persist in thinking that your friend or relative that has left the church is saved, you're not arguing with me, you're arguing with Jesus and with the Apostle John. Now, I don't say these things to distress you. This is distressing, and I understand. I would love to think that some of my relatives that prayed a prayer and and were baptized are saved. That would be comforting to me. The problem is it's not true based on the word of God. So take them the gospel like their soul depends on it because it does. I know you know this too, but I'm always willing and available to help if anybody would like for me to help them with that. But we can't just say, I think they're good to go. They, they did the prayer. I have a little certificate from when they were baptized. That doesn't mean they're saved. It means they've been introduced to the gospel. If they remain and abide, that's when you see that they're the real deal.
Now, we're talking about how trouble drives away the shallow, superficial, temporary church member. But what about a true disciple of Christ? What do they do in the face of trouble? How does he or she respond? We see in James and other places, but uh, we'll look at the beginning of James and over in 1 Peter. James 1, 2-4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials produce steadfastness in the believer. Now here's another verse that tells you what happens to a believer under pressure. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's quite a contrast to the response of the unbeliever, isn't it? If the unbeliever has trials come up on him, they say, I quit, I'm out of here, this Christianity thing did not live up to its billing, I'm gone. This is probably not a lot of that kind of people in here today either because those folks don't stick around normally. But we are about to get to the soil that makes up what I believe is the majority of churchgoers in the United States. So listen up. This is the third soil. Luke eight fourteen, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The soil here looks to be okay. It's even good looking. Uh, it's not hard like that along the path. It's not rocky and shallow like the previous one. The soil looks good, but it has competitors down in the soil that are going to compete with the seed. Let's look at those competitors. They are the cares of the world, riches, and the pleasures of life. So the question for you and for me to examine is what distracts you from what you are supposed to be doing for the kingdom? Is this parable helping you understand how spiritually deadly these competitors are? I really hope so. But if you're like most churchgoers, the answer is no, you don't understand. So let me ask you some questions to, to see if it can help with focus the problem. Do you go to work or the store or the beauty parlor just fine Monday through Saturday but miss worship fairly often because you can't make it to church on Sunday? If so, there's probably a, a thorny bush in that heart that is trying to choke out the gospel. You need to eradicate it. Do you refuse to join a small group because it's new to you? Well, think about doing it anyway. Do you consider witnessing to be optional or maybe not your job? Do you contribute financially to the church only after you have enough riches and savings or only after you have whatever pleasures of life you happen to want right then? Now, if so, don't get mad at me. Just do a self-checkup. If all is well, praise the Lord. But if not, deal with it rather than run from it. Y'all know from my preaching that I'm a big advocate of that. When the Lord confronts me with a problem, I go, well, I can stick my head in the sand and act like I didn't see it. Or as James puts it, I can look in a mirror and then go away and forget what I saw. Or I can deal with the issue. Now, am I saying you're to show up at church every time we gather unless genuinely providentially hindered? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Because God says don't forsake assembling together. And he's the boss, so we just do what he says. Now, am I saying you don't, if you don't join a small group after the pandemic is over that you're lost? No, 
But I am saying that if you have a problem that keeps you out, we can probably help you with that problem. And you need to be in the fellowship of other believers, and other believers need you in fellowship with them. Am I saying if you don't share the gospel X many times per month, you're lost? No, but I am saying that we have to do what Jesus told us to do, right? And he said to sow the seed and to share the gospel. So we just have to come to terms with what the word says and and accommodate our lives to match it. Am I saying that you have to live like a monk and give all your money to the church? No, but I am saying that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So to sum up the point of this, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Guys, it's okay for us to enjoy nice things, but we seek his kingdom first, not with your leftovers. Guys, that's what we are tempted to do. We are tempted to say, well, you know, I can't tithe this month because... I didn't have any money left over. <laughs> Man, if I waited till I had money left over, believe me, I would never give any to the church because I don't ever have any left over. Uh, we tend to think uh, I will go to church if it's sunny, if I feel great, and if I don't have anything else to do. That's our leftovers. It's not a commitment to be involved, right? So let me ask you this. Are you watering the thorns in your heart or are you watering the seed? Because the one you water and care for is the one that's going to grow. If you give first place to sin and worldly desire, it will grow and choke out the word and the gospel. But conversely, if you seek God's kingdom first, it will slowly but surely choke out the sin and selfishness in your life. Now, this is not about rules, guys. Rules are really good for children because children can't think abstractly enough to work off principles. But we who are mature need to understand principles and seek God first and put his kingdom first. So do a self-examination and see what you are seeking first in your life. Are you watering the weeds of sin and selfishness or are you seeking God and the things of God first? If you'll dare to take the time to question and pray, God will show you the answer. Now, I am... Uh, somewhat sorry for this uh, stepping on toes. I don't think this is stepping on toes. This is more like that, that front kick at the end of Karate Kid. You know, <laughs> this, this is a hard sermon. But it's because Jesus is speaking a hard truth that there are people who give him lip service, but really they don't follow him because they're more concerned about, you know, the concerns that come up in life, about their own personal riches and comfort. Being an American, you're going to be bent toward that. That's where our culture is. That's where our church culture is. And we have to look at the word and refocus if we're going to be different from that. But Jesus says hard stuff. And so sometimes I have to say hard stuff. So let's go check ourselves to see where we stand. Because most churchgoers in in this country are third soil people. Now we get to the fourth soil and we see... In Luke 8, 15, as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It's funny, those those Greek words, honest and good, really most of the time are translated good and good. So he said, instead of having a thorny heart with a seed in it, let's have a good heart with a good seed in it. And uh, so he says, let's have a good and good heart. This person is not double-minded. See, that's the problem. 
If you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. This person is not trying to pick between the weeds and the seed and decide which one to water. They have chosen the seed of the Word of God, and they are bearing fruit. Luke 8.8 8 says, And in some fell into the soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Guys, a good crop was considered to be tenfold. A hundredfold is a crazy good crop. And Jesus is saying, if you have that good heart with the good seed planted in it, you'll bear tremendous amounts of fruit. And then he said, he who has ears, let him hear. So what do we do? Inspect your own soil, okay? People outside of you can't inspect your soil. Uh, for instance, I give X amount of dollars to the, to the church on a monthly basis. If that were cut in half, somebody who knew about it might say, man, I think Steve is losing his fervor and his love for the, for the church. But what if my neighbor across the street came to me and said, my daughter uh, is, is 14, she's pregnant, um, I don't know what to do, I, I've got to have somewhere, somebody that will take this baby would you guys take this baby? And all of a sudden I had this new infant come in and I didn't have the money to give quite as much to the church anymore. Well, whoever counts money around here might not know that. But I might be caring for a widow and orphan like James says is true religion. So I can't inspect your soil. You have to inspect your soil because you're the only one that really knows what's going on. So inspect your own soil. And if you're not the fourth soil, pray that the Spirit will plow the ground of your heart. Pray for him to kill those weeds that grow up. Then if you really mean it, I have some awesome news for you. I've got this formula that is, is half miracle grow. It's miracle grow for the seed and it's weed killer for the weeds. And let me tell you what it is. Read your Bible, study it, memorize it. Faithfully prioritize and attend church and surround yourselves with a fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters like you would find in small group. You may need to reprioritize after you look at what kind of soil you have. Seek God and His kingdom first. Now here's the rub. That might actually mean real change in your priorities. It might mean change in, in what you do on Saturday night to prepare for Sunday. It might mean a change in where your money goes so that you can give your first fruits to the Lord. It might actually mean tangible change. It might mean witnessing to people that are strangers, and you're not comfortable with that. It may mean witnessing to family members, and you're not comfortable with that. I understand it means actual change, but that's okay, because the Spirit of God can help you to accomplish that. And the next thing we need to do is sow seed. We have got to, guys, give the message of hope to those around us. They need hope, and we have the only real hope, real lasting hope. Now, folks are glad to talk about politics, but that hope is, is temporary at best, okay? What really we need is unity around the gospel and hope in forgiveness and unity with God, okay? So we need to get that message to them.